0: You know, I still want to talk to you about strength from knowing God. In our last time together, that's what we talked about, but I barely got started on it before it was time to finish. 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9 says, very familiar verse to many of you, The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth in order to show himself strong, on behalf of those whose heart is pure toward him. That Hebrew phrase there, show himself strong, uh, could be translated, who strongly takes hold with them concerning whatever it is they're focused on. Now, can you get what I just said? God strongly takes hold with you Concerning whatever it is, your heart is turned toward uh, in seeking Him, in 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 seeking to to obey Him. He doesn't leave you on your own. Sometimes people have this picture of God sitting up, you know, like some Greek god. That's part of our problem. We picture Him like Zeus sitting up off in heaven, indifferent and kind of casually watching and moving the chess pieces around now and then to. Uh, keep it interesting for himself uh, as he watches us scurry around on the earth trying to uh, uh, accomplish things that uh, he may or may not help us accomplish. It's a blasphemous, damnable picture. The eyes of the Lord are running to and fro throughout the whole earth. It's an interesting thing for a Jew to say, isn't it? God's looking anywhere a man's heart will turn toward him, whether inside Israel or out in order to strongly take hold with that man or woman on their behalf. Uh, Isaiah chapter 64, uh, verse 4, says, Since the beginning of the world, men have not heard nor perceived by the ear, nor has their eye seen any God like you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. And, If you remember in our previous session, we talked about the word waiting. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And we talked about the meaning of the word wait. Literally in Hebrew, the picture of waiting is of uh, uh, two cords wound together to make the cord stronger. And I think I mentioned, if I I didn't, uh, I should have, that when the, when the, Rabbis knew that they were going to translate the book, the, the, the scriptures, uh, the Hebrew scriptures into Greek, which became known as the Septuagint. They were deeply grieved, not because they didn't want Gentiles to have scripture, but because they knew there would be such great loss of treasure in the language which is true of any translation. When you start translating, it's a difficult thing. But uh, there's so much treasure that is uh, lost to us if we don't dig for it. And that's why it's so important. For That's why God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers to help us understand his heart. And if there's one thing his heart wants communicated to you and to me, is that God is not sitting off in a distance watching, you know, that's like that stupid song, you know, God is watching us from a distance. Well, he may be watching them from a distance, but he's not watching me from a distance. He's present to me as my breath, and he's invited me into union with him, and he has promised that he, he will take hold alongside me, strongly take hold alongside me, Uh, In whatever endeavor that I'm seeking to fulfill that he's called me to working all things together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Um, But it's interesting that Isaiah 64, uh, the the verse that I just read since the beginning of the world, men have not perceived what God is like this God who acts on behalf of the anyone who waits for him. Waiting for him doesn't mean sitting passively and watching him from a distance either. He's not watching me from a distance and I'm not to sit and watch him from a distance. Uh, When you go in to pray, one of the tricks of the enemy is to make you think of God as way off up yonder somewhere. Uh, And uh, to make you feel alone and to make you feel like your words are dribbling off your chin. And so, uh, this is these scriptures will deliver you from that false concept. Uh, the, the moment I'm on my knees, the moment I'm in the presence of the Lord in prayer, uh, these verses come to my mind. They they are God's strong promise that he will take hold of alongside me what I'm taking hold of. Um, I mean, there's so many scripture verses that that intertwine with this. This. Uh, And if I'm not careful, I'll go off on them. I want to stay where I am just for a moment. Uh, Because the next verse, uh, not the next verse, but if you'll look down in verse 7, if you have your your Bible open, if you're driving, I hope you're not doing that. But in verse 7 it says, uh, even though God promises to strongly act and strongly take hold of things on our behalf uh, for the one who waits for him, verse 7 says, but there is no one who calls on your name. There is no one who will stir up himself to take hold of thee. See, one of the great enemies of prayer, I think it's the greatest enemy of prayer. Uh, there's lots of enemies of prayer. But I guess one of them that comes to my mind the most is, is this this feeling, this attitude that, that we can easily fall into, that, God already knows everything anyway, and God already knows how it's all going to unfold. And if you happen to be of a hyper-Calvinist bent, then this definitely is your problem. Uh, Why bother? I mean, it makes no sense to pray. It makes no sense to strongly take hold of God, uh, or to picture Him strongly taking hold alongside you in whatever it is uh, you are uh, seeking to address in prayer. Um, But And as a result of that, there's none who calls on your name. There's none who stirs up himself. And I asked you in our last session together, when's when's the last time you purposefully put yourself before the Lord? I'm not talking about the kind of praying, which is valid praying. I'm not saying it's wrong to do it. It's right to do it. The Bible says pray without ceasing. You know, we, we practice the presence of the Lord. We live in his presence. We we stay focused on his presence. But this is talking about something beyond the normal everyday breathing in and breathing out with God, which is wonderful and good. But this is talking about those specific occasions when you are you are in, in a situation where it is desperately necessary that you put yourself in in the presence of the Lord on purpose you shut out everything else and everybody else and you put yourself there in the presence of the Lord and you are, you're strongly taking hold of something and you are waiting for Him. And the word wait doesn't mean like we think of it in English. This is why the rabbis were so sad about the translation. Waiting for God doesn't mean sitting over in a corner looking at Him from a distance. It means that you are so in his presence and so confident that he cares about what you're dealing with that you are weaving yourself around him and he is weaving himself around you uh this this cord uh, this this binding together and the, the the whole purpose of this in the hebrew uh, poetry of that word is to paint a picture a word picture of of strength from union strength that comes from union and the reason that I'm focusing on this so much and I want to make sure you get it and I'm uh, covering a little bit of ground that we've already covered in the previous time together is because we are, we are now entering a time period in in history where it is vital that you understand what I'm talking about here. Um, Whether it's going to be international crisis or national crisis or personal crisis or economic crisis or whatever kind of crisis, God is, God is allowing us to find out what we really believe. And his eyes are running to and fro throughout the earth, willing to show himself strong, to strongly take hold alongside you with whatever it is. But are you willing to strongly take hold? Are you as motivated toward him as he is toward you? Or you will, you will you end up being like the people in Isaiah 64, verse 7, those who do not call on his name and who will not stir themselves up? Have you ever had to stir yourself up to pray? Stir yourself up to worship this? Stirring yourself up has to do with what is referred to several times, especially in First and Second Chronicles. Uh, if you if you have the time, you should just read through First and Second Chronicles in refer with reference to uh, the terms seeking the Lord, uh, waiting for the Lord. This this concept of seeking uh, that Hebrew word has to do with uh, seeking the way you would seek a, a lover, the way you would seek someone you care for deeply. It has to do with a, a Uh, There's an emotion in it. It's not just seeking like you're looking for a phone number in a telephone book. Uh, It's it's seeking the way uh, a loved one longingly searches for the face of the one they love. When it talks about seeking the face of the Lord, that's what it's talking about. God's not hiding from us, but in certain times of history, events in the earth are such that his face is hidden, uh, seemingly his presence is not perceived. And it's in the times when it seems that he has left us, that he expects us to seek him. He's not playing games with us. He's not playing hide and seek. When he's rebuking us for not seeking him, I mean, some of us get the, I guess it depends on what kind of wounds we have from childhood, maybe, or what our experience has been with adults that we should have been loved by but weren't but you have this picture in your mind of of this adult authority figure yelling and screaming and rebuking you because you didn't come and seek for him and you're searching for him but he keeps hiding he keeps moving then he then he he yells at you again for not not finding him Uh, that's what you think god is like when god is saying listen I know that on your side of things, things are dark, and you can't perceive. You can't perceive me, but I'm, I'm expecting you to keep pressing through the invisible. I'm expecting you to keep pressing through the unknowable, not because I'm trying to be harsh or difficult but because you are living in a world that is harsh and difficult and I'm the only source of peace and goodness and hope and truth in that world and therefore I expect you to keep moving toward me and seeking my face and listening for my voice and pressing through because my my call to you is to bring you through the dark, through the fog, through the confusion, through the the attacks uh, to the other side of it. And as long as you seek me, you'll keep moving that way. But if you stop seeking me, you'll be lost in the fog. And so uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to to go go back to this is 2 Chronicles 12, for instance, verse 14 says uh, of uh, one of the kings of Israel, it says he did evil because he did not prepare his heart To seek the Lord. Now that's an interesting phrase, isn't it? He didn't. It doesn't say he did evil because he didn't seek the Lord. It says he did evil because he didn't prepare his heart to seek the Lord. What does does that mean? Well, preparing your heart. Various other places in Second Chronicles that phrase is used. We could do a whole study just on it. Uh, It says, for instance, that. uh, uh, one of the kings, it says, uh, he he did that which was right in the sight of the Lord to some degree, but because he had not prepared the heart of the people to seek the Lord, they didn't tear down the idols. So, preparing the heart. One Hebrew translation of the word "prepare" is to fix, to to firmly establish. Picture uh, pouring concrete in a in a hole in order to put a a fence peg down into it so that it is unmovable. That's the idea. My heart is fixed. My, My heart is prepared. My heart is established. Any one of those words, Psalm 112, for instance, says that the righteous man's heart is established, therefore he's not afraid of bad news. Now, there's lots of bad news coming in from all kinds of directions in our day, uh, more than than we've ever seen before. Is your heart established? Is your heart fixed? Because if your heart's not established in confidence in God and your relationship with him, then you're not going to have the perception of him coming swiftly on your behalf to take hold of you. And to take hold of what you're taking hold of, and help you with it. You're going to just start yelling and screaming like a child who feels abandoned and uh, wondering how God, why God uh, is letting you go through such a hard time. Uh, the person whose heart is fixed is a person who has made the preparations necessary, so that when the time comes, their heart is established. They they already know. They've already they've already done their homework. They didn't wait for the crisis. Uh, Hebrews eleven six, uh, God says, uh, "Those who come to me must believe that I am, but also that I am a rewarder of those who diligently what seek me." This is what it means to have your heart fixed, to have your heart established. You don't wait for the crisis and then run around flipping through the Bible trying to find a verse that you can use like a magic talisman or an incantation to get God to come down like Superman and fix it for you. Your heart is fixed. Well, uh, you want to know how your heart gets fixed? Look at Psalm 57, verse 7. It says, my heart is, David says, my heart is fixed, trusting in the Lord. I will sing and give praise. So your heart becomes established by singing and giving praise to God, by worshiping Him, by giving praise and thanksgiving to Him, even in the face of the battle. This has to do with the sacrifice of praise. We bring the sacrifice of praise. Uh, Hebrews chapter 12 refers to the sacrifice of praise, which is the fruit of our lips. The sacrifice of praise uh, is what is offered when there seems to be no evidence that there's anything praiseworthy happening. The praise happens beforehand. Again, Second Chronicles chapter twenty is a great example of this, where Jehoshaphat uh, is surrounded all of a sudden by the, the the most destructive enemies in his neighborhood, the Ammonites, the Jebusites, the you know all the sites, the Moabites, and they've gathered to destroy Judah. And uh, Jehoshaphat goes before the Lord. And uh, the word of the Lord comes to them to make preparation and to go out to meet the battle and to put the praisers out at the front of the battle. Send Judah first. Send the praisers first. And as they went out worshiping and giving praise and glory to God and worshiping the beauty of holiness, it says, God sent ambushments among the enemies, and uh, they destroyed themselves. Uh, it's a study in itself to to go through all the scriptures related to praise and worship and how praise is a weapon of spiritual warfare. Uh, there's many, many verses on it. Psalm 8, Psalm 9, Psalm 149, uh, many others. And I, I don't, whenever I mention this, this is an aside in some ways, but whenever I mention this, I don't mean to make anybody from a, a spiritual background where you're used to quietness and where uh, exuberance in praise is not a part of your tradition, but I always end up saying the same thing. With all due respect to many, many people I know and love and respect who are quiet in in nature, quiet by nature, when you're reading the scriptures and you see these exhortations to praise the Lord and to lift up your hands and clap your hands and shout to God with a voice of triumph, Psalm 47, many, many, many others. I just have to say, what are you going to go by, your personality or the scriptures? And if if that's difficult for you, I understand it. I've said many times, you know, the first time I ever raised my hands in public in a worship service, I felt like I didn't have any pants on. But, uh, you know, then I figured out to my disappointment that no one was focused on me. They were focused on someone greater than me. And then I got focused on him, too, and it became a non-issue. But uh, the Bible says, let the lifting up of my hands be as the morning and the evening sacrifice, Psalm 141. Um, So bringing the sacrifice of praise... Would According to Scripture, if you're going to be scriptural, if you want to really obey the Bible we say we we obey, then bringing the sacrifice of praise is not a mental exercise I can do in my armchair. It's something that I physically give myself to. I raise my hands. I bow my knees. Come let us worship and bow down. Let us, uh, you know, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Worship in both Hebrew and Greek is always a physical act. So my heart becomes fixed partly by my willingness to make my body cooperate with my heart. And, uh, you know, when you do that, fear that is lodged in your body begins to be uh, broken loose. Uh, I got a call yesterday from a wonderful man who was at our last conference who has suffered terrible fear all of his life such that it has destroyed his digestive system. And uh, he's really had terrible trouble. But during the conference, you know, he just kept making himself be available to the Lord, put himself in the presence of the Lord, facing these fears, facing these issues And he called me yesterday to tell me that the doctors have reported that there's a major transformation in his uh, digestive tract uh, uh, for the good. A major change. And it's because this fear has been broken off of him. His body is beginning to cooperate with his heart. His heart is fixed, and it's fixing his body. So, blessed be the name of the Lord. Now, another reason why we don't pray, why we don't take hold of and move in prayer. And you remember our, our, our last session we talked about uh, those who do wickedly against the covenant will, will destroy uh, the covenant or uh, break the covenant by flattery, by lies, by deceit. Uh, but those who know their God will be strong and do and the King James Version says do exploits, but the word exploits is added by the translators. The Hebrew is just do. They will, they will be strong. And as a result of knowing God, the strength they gather from knowing God will cause them to do. Well, that's exactly what we're talking about here. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong, to strongly take hold of with you when you start to do whatever it is you're called to do. And I'm, I think a lot of us, are inhibited in doing things because we this may be misunderstood. I want to say it carefully. We get so preoccupied with the will of God that we got to wait for you know we got to wait for a hundred confirmations and and ten angels to come down and appear before us with a you know handwritten message from God with our name on it before we know for a certainty that this is what we're supposed to do, and I don't want to do anything that's out of the will of God. I love what Dr. Dallas Willard said about the will of God. He said, you know, we're so preoccupied with the will of God, we're almost pagan. We're like pagans who are afraid if we make one wrong move, the gods will be angry. He said, I had a big yard when my children were small, and they were in my will in my yard. I didn't much care if they went from the sandbox to the teeter-totter, from the teeter-totter to the tree swing from the tree swing to the monkey bars. I didn't care. As long as they were in my yard, they were in my will. And everything they did inside that circle, I blessed. And the fact is, there's lots of us who uh, have visions and desires and and purpose in our hearts that we would like to see fulfilled. And we keep, we say, waiting on God to show us what to do. But you see, Our Gentile misunderstanding of the word wait, I think, has kept us from moving forward. Now you know that waiting on God doesn't mean sitting in a corner doing nothing. It means taking hold of the thing that God has taken hold of in your heart. Why do you have the vision? Because God put it there. God wants to fulfill it through you. You take hold of it, and God will take hold of it alongside you. And begin to move forward with it. You, you know, uh, uh, there's so many examples. This this uh, the little fellow that started this ministry that uh, ended up raising millions of dollars to battle international uh, sex slave trade. He's just just a kid, 14, 15 years old. And, uh, you know, the, the transformation that is coming through him, he took hold of it. And boy, God took hold of it with him. Or the young fellow that we've talked about who is uh, the former bartender up in Boone who came to the Lord, wanted to do something to help people and serve the Lord. He didn't know what to do, so it just came to him that he would just do what he knew how to do best. And So he has wine tasting events, and the money he raises for the wine tasting events he pours into digging wells for poor people around the world. He's raised millions of dollars, and his ministry is called uh, Wine to Water and uh, you know only only a pinhead religionist would be upset because he's using wine to do this i mean i won't even get off on that it's not worth giving energy to but the other see another thing that's keeping us from from putting ourselves before the lord if you're wondering what what i'm talking about i'm talking about putting yourself in the presence of the lord on purpose with a specific focused thing that you're praying through and you're taking hold of it. And with now the promise of God in your heart, that when you take hold of it, God is going to take hold of it with you. And if there's anything in your focus, that's out of line, he'll correct it. But what God's excited about is being able to to do something with you and for you to do something with him. Um, that, that, he's excited about that. And uh, do you see what, what a difference that makes when, you're, when you have that in your heart, when you go in to pray, instead of going in and confessing your sins for two hours and telling God how unworthy you are and how ashamed you feel and what a rotten dog you are and how you're sorry to bother him. But instead of doing that, You come in. If there's something you need to confess, you say, "Father, I I confess this. I I receive your cleansing for it. I ask you to wash me free from it, because he who has clean hands and a pure heart is who can enter into the mountain of the Lord. And I want to have my heart clean, and so I could. And the enemy's right there to say, "Oh, you're just confessing it like rote. You don't really mean it. You'll go do it again. Well, just tell him to go to hell. Your prayer life's none of his business." What goes on between you and God is between you and your father God. It's not any of his business. You can dismiss him out of the picture. Unless you want to sit there and agree with him. If you're agreeing with him, then that's where the... (laughs) No wonder your prayer life makes you so tired. (laughs) If you go in to just agree with him... (laughs) Anyway, that's funny. It's not really funny. It's tragic, but... I'd rather laugh about it than cry about it now look uh the other thing I'm concerned about is when we don't have a vision for uh prayer and 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 we don't think that uh we don't know how to pray. another reason we don't pray is because we are i think seduced by a f- uh scenarios of end time prophecy that may or may not be true but they are theories i don't care how dogmatically they are presented they are theoretical for the most part we don't know completely we know in part we prophesy in part paul says we won't know fully till uh, we are known as we, we know as we are known at the resurrection And so sitting around measuring the events of the world and deciding in your own little small uh, uninformed mind, well, this is it, you know, uh, Obama's the Antichrist and America's gone to hell in a handbasket and uh, the left-wingers have taken over and there's no hope and uh, we just need to sit back in a corner and wait for the rapture. Is one of the most diabolical uh, power stealers of anything I know going. Uh, I'm not, don't, don't, please don't write me letters and ask me what I believe about the rapture and do I think it's pre, mid, or post and where I, who the Antichrist is and all that. I mean, I'm, I don't mean to be disrespectful to your questions. I mean, if you have questions that are genuine questions, I I understand that. But you know one reason why we're so preoccupied with end-time prophecy? Because you don't have to do anything with it. You just speculate with it. That's all you can do with it. Uh, If you really care about end-time prophecy in a way that moves you toward worship and obedience and keeping a pure heart, well, that's a good thing. But most of us are just speculating, you know, who's the Antichrist and when is Russia going to attack Israel and all these things? Well, I mean, they're interesting and they're important. And in previous times together, I have rebuked people for saying it doesn't matter because if prophecy doesn't matter, then a third of the Bible doesn't matter, which makes no sense. But just speculating on in-time events so that we can just move move the pieces around on the chessboard prophetically and uh, talk about it and feel good about it or feel bad about it or whatever. It's just useless. There's no edification in it. There's no fruit in it. Uh, Occupy till I come. I keep saying it over and over because, first of all, I think there's something wrong with us when we think that whatever is going on in America is how you measure what's going on in the whole world. It's typical American myopic self-centeredness. I don't know that what happens in America politically is the measuring stick of what's happening in the world prophetically. Uh, you know, if you, if you notice, we don't we don't show up that that often in the scenario of uh, we're just one of the nations. So uh, that being said. The healing of a land does not usually depend on the sinners in the land repenting, but it depends on the people of God. Peter says judgment begins at the house of God. Jonah, of course, is a an exception to that. The whole, the whole scenario of Jonah was, was sinners who were called to repentance, and national repentance occurred. But I, I don't know if the principle holds true that we should expect the, the the sinners in America, or the sinners in Great Britain, or the sinners in Germany, or Switzerland, or wherever you're hearing this, that, that God's intervening uh, blessing is dependent on the sinners being awakened and repenting. We're the salt of the earth, we're the light of the world. We are the ecclesia. The church is the ecclesia. It was a was a governing body in Greek. They were the gathering of the assembly that that made governmental decisions, and the the word is used in reference to the church because the church in prayer extends the rod of God's authority. Remember, we talked about this last time from Psalm one hundred and ten. Uh, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. The rod of your power shall go forth out of Zion. How, How does the rod of God's power go forth out of Zion? What is Zion? Zion is the people of God. The rod of God's authority, the scepter of God's authority, comes out of Zion. How does it happen? In prayer. How do we... Rule in life by Christ Jesus, Paul says in Romans chapter 4. Or, What does it mean that we're kings and priests unto God and that we rule with him? What does it mean that we're seated with him in heavenly places in Ephesians chapter 2? This is what it means. Christ extends the authority of his rule through his people by means of prayer. Intercessory prayer. We take hold of the, the, the thing that God has moved on our hearts to take hold of, first in prayer. Then if there's other things to do beside pray, we get up and, and go do them. You know, they, they who know their God shall be strong and do. But the first thing we've got to do is birth it in prayer. Now, you got to be careful with this. I mean, when I'm talking about prayer, some of you may start hearing in your head, Things I've said previously where I've said things like, or maybe things other people have said, where, where, you know, if you sit around and pray about something all the time, nothing ever gets done. And there's truth in that. But somebody else might say, but, you know, if you go out and do a bunch of stuff in the flesh without bathing it in prayer, it's guaranteed to fail. And there's truth in that. What the enemy wants you to do is, uh, when you hear an exhortation to pray, He'll bring back to your mind the warning that if you pray and don't do things, then you're, uh, just using spirituality as an excuse to be lazy, to, to be lazy and fruitless. Then if you get out and start doing things, the enemy will say, you know, you didn't pray about this, you know, you, you, uh. You see what I'm saying? You just get to where, uh, you can't do anything because should I pray about it or should I go do it? Should I? Well, why don't you pray about it? And then, see, I guarantee you, if in prayer you get pregnant with what you're supposed to go do, you'll know when you've prayed it through. And then when you've prayed it through, you can't sit and pray anymore. You, you have to get up and go do it if you've prayed it through. Uh, if you get out and start doing something and it keeps falling flat on its face, like several things that I've been doing lately, just absolutely mud puddled, useless waste of my time, uh, I know that I didn't birth it in prayer. It's it it you know, it every every failure is a prayer failure, and every success is a prayer success. That doesn't mean God can't in his mercy step in and do things for us. Uh, even when we didn't pray, because he certainly has done that for me many times. But the principle is that I don't need to continue to be a child that God has to come rescue. He wants me to grow up and become a partner, of father and son uh, enterprise, father-daughter enterprise for the ladies listening. And in that father-child partnership, uh, uh, he expects you to mature and become a uh, uh, adept at listening to his voice, discerning what he called you to do, and then go do it. And uh, the exploits that we are supposed to be performing in the midst of this time of of, uh, darkness and increasing conflict in the earth could make the next few years the most exciting, fruitful, blessed, anointed years of our lives with persecutions, with difficulties but who, you know you don't you don't get focused on the persecution and the difficulties if you're entwined you're so wrapped up in Jesus you're so close to him and he's this is so wonderful to say i say it in the fear of the lord and i say it with humility but he's wrapped up in you he he, he loves you he wants to be partner with you in what you're doing because it's birthed in what he's done in you to prepare you to be able to do it. So uh, let's lay aside the end-time prophecy preoccupation and begin to discern what are we to do with the time we've been given? How how can we be fruitful in it? Now, I want to just I want to walk through a few things in, in Second Chronicles. Mm-hmm. There's so many that it would take a whole uh, a study in itself several hours to cover it adequately but just look at, at some of these, you know, we're Jesus is king of kings. And who are the kings he's king of? Well, we are kings and priests to our God. We rule in life by Christ Jesus, Paul says. Uh, Dr. Jack Hayford many years ago did a wonderful series called How to Not Live Like a King. <laughs> and in that he, he pointed out some of these uh, terrible t- stories of uh, failures of kings. Uh, starting with David and going right through the kings of Israel and Judah. I just want to look at a few things with that in mind. Uh, I've already mentioned uh, one of them, Rehoboam, in, in Second Chronicles chapter 12, where it says uh, he did evil because he did not prepare his heart to seek the Lord. Uh, and we've already talked about that, but I want to give you just a couple of more pictures of that same thing. It says in chapter 14 of Second Chronicles. Um, so Abijah slept with his fathers, and they buried him in the city of David. And Asa, his son, reigned in his place. In his days the land was quiet for ten years. And Asa did that which was good and right in the eyes of the Lord his God. He took away the altars of the strange gods and the high places and broke them down and he destroyed the images and cut down the groves and commanded Judah to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, and to do his commandments. And he took away out of the city of Judah the high places and the images uh, and the kingdom was quiet before him. And he built fence cities in Judah for the land had rest And he had no war in those years, because the Lord had given them rest. Therefore he said to Judah, Let us build cities and and build walls and towers and gates and bars in the land, uh, for the land is yet before us. Uh, And because we have sought the Lord our God, we have uh, been given rest on every side. So they built and prospered. And Asa had an army and uh, so forth and just to skip on down to verse 11. Asa cried to the Lord, because uh, they, their enemies began to amass against them. Asa cried to the Lord, his God, and said, Lord, it is nothing with you to help, whether with many or with few, uh, either those who have no power uh, or those who have some power. With you it makes no difference. Please help us, O God. For we rest on you, and in your name we go against this multitude that's attacking us. O Lord, uh, our God, let no enemy prevail against you. So the Lord smote the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. And Asa and the people that were with him pursued them to uh, Gerar, And the Ethiopians were overthrown, and they could not recover themselves, for they were destroyed before the Lord, before his hosts, and they carried back much spoil. Now, in verse 15, just carries on the story. Uh, This is the same time period, just the chapter difference doesn't make any difference. Same story. The Spirit of God came upon Azariah, the son of Oded, And he went out to meet Asa as he was returning from battle. And he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and let all of Judah and Benjamin hear. The Lord is with you while you are with him. And if you seek him, he will be found of you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. Now for a long season, Israel has been without the true God and without a teaching priest and without the Torah. But when they in their trouble did turn to the Lord God of Israel and sought him, he was found of them. And in those times there was no peace to him that went out, nor to him that came in, but great vexations. Does that ring true to you right now? I'll talk to people. Let me just say this as a little parenthesis. I talk to people every day. Who, in some form or other, will say, you know, I hate to complain. There's nothing really to complain about. I mean, yeah, the economy is a train wreck, and and we have enemies at our gates, and we've got all kinds of potential dangers on right and the left. But the present moment, you know, I'm safe. I'm eating. I, my bills are being paid, and I'm having to work hard. But but what they're saying is, there's nothing specifically wrong per se. But everything seems wrong. Everything seems... This is what the word vexation means. You know, it says of Lot that the evil of Sodom vexed his righteous soul every day. Uh, Lot's got problems, obviously. He's, for one thing, a horrible father. He's a terrible father, and he's let himself be seduced into living in Sodom, and yet, while he's there, he's he's vexed. That word "vex" means just what I described. Nothing's really wrong, but nothing feels really right. Nothing is really tragically right on top of me. But I just live with a sense of impending potential doom. Uh, great vexations were. Well, that's what this is. This is because you got to ask yourself: Am I vexed because I'm? have a righteous soul that is being uh, tormented by the unrighteousness around me, or am I vexed because I'm not standing in my true self in Christ, and I really have compromised, and there's no peace in my kingdom because I'm not really seeking the Lord. I guess the simplistic message of this time together is, are you running out the door saying lord bless my day thank you that you love me thank you that you saved me amen uh, god bless this hamburger you know god help me pay this bill is that your prayer life or are you envisioned empowered and impassioned to step into intercessory prayer where god the father joyfully can partner with you as you take hold of whatever it is you're focused on God comes and takes hold of it alongside you and says son, daughter, I've been waiting for you to get out of your passivity out of your doldrums out of your vexation and get up here in the the, the kingdom realm with me where you're seated with me in heavenly places. I'm preaching to myself. I mean Mary's not in here right now. She, <laughs> she was in here, she would be laughing. She'd be standing there saying, Yeah, preach, you preach that real good. Because just 48 hours ago, I was vexed. But anyway, uh, this morning, the, the, the Lord woke me up about 5.30. It takes God to do that. I was up in bed, wide awake at 5.30 this morning. Don't get the idea that that's my normal uh, thing. I'm not trying to impress you with my spirituality, believe me. But the Lord said, come put yourself before me. And uh, sitting there in the presence of the Lord going, no, no, seriously, sitting there in the presence of the Lord, I was wide awake and I said, Lord, I just need you. And the Holy Spirit just, I can hear the Holy Spirit saying to me, tell him, just tell him the whole, you see the holy spirit comes to to bring us to jesus who then takes us to the father and the holy spirit was just comforting me you know the, in the true meaning of the word comfort means to put your arm around to help you into battle and uh, he's comforting me to just begin to to tell jesus what i feel about him I just heard myself begin to say, you know, I I don't I'm not asking you for anything. I I don't have a list, although I always have a list and I always have stuff to ask him, but I I don't have anything I want to beg you for or plead before you about. I just thank you. I just thank you. I just thank you for who you are. Thank you for what you've done for me. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your faithfulness. And as I'm doing that, I'm just aware that I'm being carried up into the presence of God the Father. There, in that presence, I begin to get my instructions. See, Psalm 95 says, uh, uh, Come let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our God, our Maker, for He is our God and we are the people of His pasture. Then it says, Today if you will listen to His voice. Do you notice? Hearing His voice is directly the result of bowing and worshiping. I mean really worshiping. I mean putting yourself on purpose in the presence of the Lord. I've said it over and over. When the kids were smaller and the house was noisy, I would get up in the morning and go to the hall bathroom and lock myself in so I would have time to do that. Just time to worship the Lord and be with Him. Not out of some religious ritual. It Look, it's a long time ago. I, I quit doing things out of religious guilt. I, I hadn't read my Bible in three days. Well, You know, it's like saying I hadn't hadn't eaten in three days. I I feel so guilty about it because I haven't eaten in three days. No, I don't feel guilty if I haven't eaten in three days. I feel hungry. You get the point? It's not a matter of me feeling guilty that I haven't read my Bible. I'm just starving, starving for it. Can't wait to get to it. Sometimes I open it. And it's like sawdust. Can't find anything in it that tastes good. Can't find anything in it that looks good. That's when I go to my hymn book. When I can't get started in my Bible, then I go to my hymn book. I always get in with the hymns. You know, you let me start looking at those words like... Um, could we with ink the ocean fill and were the sky of parchment made where every stalk on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade to write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry nor could the scroll contain the whole though stretched from sky to sky oh love of God how rich how pure how measureless and strong it doesn't take me just a couple of minutes and I'm there I'm there I I know how to get there See, it's not the Lord hiding from me, as I said a while ago. It's not God saying, come on, come on a little closer. And then he hides more. And he says, yeah, keep coming. Uh, what's the matter with you? You know, God's not doing that. Uh, you know, immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days. Almighty, victorious, your great name we praise. And then that, that, the lyrics later on say, you know, uh, Tis only the, the shining of your glory that hides us from you. It's not the darkness of, of, uh, evil that hides us. It's, it's, we're not capable of seeing God's not hiding from us. And, uh, Paul says as we sit in his presence, we are transformed from one level of glory to another so that uh, we behold the face of the Lord. You actually can get to where that, that uh, glory doesn't hurt your eyes and you begin to see more clearly. And uh, then you remember what the psalmist says, Lord, darkness and light are all the same to you. Uh, that doesn't mean that evil and good are all the same to God. It means that uh, whether, whether things are dark or... F- or, or light God can see and as we draw near to him we get to where in the dark we can see you'll be able to see in the dark Daniel says concerning the, our era, the end of the age that um, the wicked will not understand but the wise will understand and the wise will shine like the, the stars in the darkness as it gets dark darker we get brighter the path of the just shines brighter and brighter till it reaches perfect noonday so Anyway, the prophet comes to Asa and says, if you seek the Lord and continue to, you you won't be forsaken. Uh, But if you turn away, you'll end up in the dark. You'll crash in the dark. It's not that God says, you you treat me bad, I'll treat you bad. That's not it. As long as you seek him, he'll he'll be there for you. If you forsake him, he will give you your, your will. See, don't read this like, okay, you do me bad, I'll do you bad. It's not that way. It's you do me bad and bad will come because I'm the only source of good. If you turn from me, there's no other place to go. Anyway, he says in verse 7 concerning this, this period of vexation, he says, Be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. Some of us ought to print that on our mirror in the bathroom every, so we read it every morning. Be strong, therefore, and let not your hands be weak. See this the, this Hebrew concept picture here of waiting on the Lord, taking hold of the same thing God's taking hold of. Let not your hands be weak. Your work shall be rewarded. And when Asa heard these words and the prophecy uh, of Oded the prophet, he took courage and put away the abominable idols out of the land of Judah and Benjamin, out of the cities which he had taken from Mount Ephraim, and renewed the altar. Some of you need to renew your altar. See, you fall back into old patterns of sinful behavior, or maybe not necessarily sinful behavior, but passive, lack of, lack of life, lack of doing anything. Of course, if you stay passive long enough, you'll slide back into sinful behaviors of whatever kind. And the enemy's telling you, you can't come in and pray till you get cleaned up, but you can't get cleaned up without prayer. So you're just like a, you know, like a hamster chasing itself on that wheel, jump off the wheel and renew the altar, fall on your face and renew the altar. And the Lord, uh, uh he said he renewed the altar of the Lord that was on the, the porch of the temple. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and the strangers with them of Ephraim and Manasseh and out of Simeon, for they fell to him out of Israel in abundance. Everybody came forward. Everybody was, uh, there's revival happening. uh, Verse 11, verse 12 says, They entered into a covenant to seek the Lord God of their fathers with all their hearts, with all their souls. Um. And and the covenant said, anybody that won't join this covenant can leave or die. In verse 14, they swore to the Lord with a loud voice, with shouting, with trumpets and with cornets. See, they they're fixing their hearts. They're preparing their hearts. And all Judah rejoiced at the oath, for they had sworn with all their hearts and sought him. With their whole desire, and he was found of them, and the Lord gave them rest round about, some of you are just you need rest. I want to tell you, the Bible says in Hebrews chapter two, three, four, that there's a rest which God intends for his people, and it's a rest that is there, even in times of trouble. So Peter says uh, he says, "Being terrified by nothing." John says, perfect love casts out all fear. That's your inheritance. You should, right now, right now, you should be moving towards fixing your heart, preparing your heart to seek the Lord, renewing the altar, casting down whatever idols you've allowed, and God will give you rest, and you will find yourself Not afraid, you're wasting a lot of energy on fear. If you've got fear and you're anxious and troubled about the economy and all the rest of it, listen, stop it and begin to let the Holy Spirit tell you what next he wants you to do. You know, a soldier on the battlefield gets a command from the general to move forward. He doesn't get all freaked out because there's not any gas in his truck, you know. The general is responsible to take care of the supplies to get you there. Jesus told his disciples on the, the lake, he said, go to the other side of the lake. They get in the middle of the lake, storm hits, they think they're going to drown. God, Jesus said, go to the other side. If he said, go to the other side, he'll get you to the other side. But the Lord will allow your trust level to be Checked. By circumstances, believe me, that's a whole other subject. Anyway, we get over here in chapter 16, and this is about 10, 11 years later. And uh, another battle is ensuing, and Asa, instead of turning to the Lord, turns to Damascus in Syria and goes to them for help. Unbelievable how did he get there well we don't really know what happened in those 10 years well there was peace they they had peace and you know what happens when there's too much peace you get fat and lazy and and self-centered read the book of deuteronomy read the warnings and there must be 12 or 14 warnings within four chapters in deuteronomy uh, when you come into the land and you are full and you are sitting under your own tree and you're enjoying your own crops and you, 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 you're you're peaceful and there's no enemies around, be careful that you don't forget the Lord your God. A few verses later, remember the Lord your God who gave you this freedom, so that when you enjoy the fruit of your labors and you enjoy your capitalism. Your, the fruit of your own labors, your investments, that you don't forget the Lord your God. Listen, we forgot, we didn't just forget the Lord our God. We blasphemed His holy name, dishonored Him. I Look, I, I like to eat. I like to sleep in a warm bed. I like to be able to turn the light on and, and uh, off just as much as anybody but I'm not frightened by the chastisement we're going through as a nation. I'm grateful for it. I would be terrified if we were allowed to keep going the way we've been going with no correction. And, and uh, It just shows how wimpy we are that we think this is correction, that, that this is difficult some people don't think it's correction because they don't think about God at all. But that's another subject, too. Anyway, somewhere in all this period, Asa is lazy and, and selfish and has forgotten the Lord. And in verse 7, the prophet comes to him and says, Do you forget that God delivered you from the Ethiopians? Why have you turned to the king of Syria for help? And then this famous verse that we started with, for the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth in order to take hold of strongly on your behalf, what you take hold of. But because your heart is not perfect toward him, from now on you shall have wars. Your peace time is over. This is exactly what's happened to us. See, we've had, we've had the longest period of peace and prosperity. Uh, imaginable, but in it, in it we've invented new ways to do evil. Then Asa, look here, Asa was angry, uh, wrath rose up in Asa toward the prophet. And, and so it says in verse 12, he became diseased in his feet, but instead of seeking the Lord, he sought the physicians and he died. That doesn't mean if you go to a doctor you'll die, but in that case you understand the point. How do you start off so well and end so poorly? Well, you've heard the story. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. He he can be found now. He's near now. And if you'll turn to him with all your heart uh, and, and seek him, and don't listen to the voice of the enemy trying to keep you out of the presence, if you draw near to God, James says, God will draw near to you. You take, hold, you take hold of the Lord, the Lord will take hold of you. Stir up yourself and take hold of him. Father, I pray for every one of us who've listened to this message that you will stir us awake, but that we will also, once we get stirred by you, will stir ourselves. And, and and in that very action, Lord, of you coming to take hold of us, that we will then turn and take hold of what you're taking hold of and then partner together with you to accomplish the things you called us to do. They who know their God shall be strong and do exploits. Grant it, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you all. Thanks for listening.